The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we review Austin's wild 3-3 draw at home against San Jose. We'll preview the return match against Sporting Kansas City, and we'll talk a little bit about the All-Star game and share a few of the pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I'm very happy to be back in my guest bedroom tonight and not in Florida. Although, probably the biggest piece of news that we did that happened to us last week when we were in Destin is we bought a puppy um another one another one yes so we went in florida no well we bought the dog (laughs) in florida after several hours of drinking on the beach um but we actually went and picked the puppy up sunday in denton texas oh okay i thought you like found like bought a puppy off someone on the on like the boardwalk (laughs) on the beach or whatever (laughs) it's like a guy walking around handing out like i don't know cigars and ice cream and puppies or something out of his jacket no we didn't get that speaking of buying animals outside of uh events in atlanta there was guys like selling like stupid little toys and stuff outside of uh mercedes benz and we walked past a guy that was selling small turtles in like little terrariums (laughs) and also stupid little toys like he had both of those things (laughs) They didn't have like Atlanta, like Atlanta United logos on them or anything. I don't know. I didn't actually see it up close, but it, it was a very strange thing for someone to be selling. For uh, sure. But okay, I'm glad that you are getting a high quality Texas puppy instead of a, a Florida beach puppy. No, yeah, it's it's a it's a, <laughs> this puppy's actually a half sister to Finn, our existing oh, nice. dog. So we just happened to we got really drunk and texted the lady we bought the first puppy from and we're like hey do you know anybody else that has any more puppies and she's like actually i have one so we drove up on sunday got a puppy and brought her back i'm just kind of preparing for if i have to run away when she makes a mess on the floor if anybody hears barking that uh that that will be that will be our new puppy poppy (laughs) all right let's jump into the austin fc news so um emiliano ragoni is still not in austin how do we know that jeremiah (laughs) Yeah, he's still uh well one thing is he's still posting Instagram photos of like his band playing together. So that's probably pretty indicative that he's not here and I'm I'm glad he's getting that work. I think he also I think we saw maybe a post today from him like still training um back home too. So yes, he is not in Austin yet. Do you have some guesses or assumptions about when we might see him? Yeah, so I was doing some googling yesterday. A P1 visa can take several months at times, but an expedited one, if you pay a few thousand bucks, says on the U.S. government website that a P1 visa can be expedited and you'll receive it in up to 15 days. Uh, So looking at that timeline, the reports out of Brazil and uh, Chris Bills is reporting that his sources in Brazil were saying uh, on the morning of the 28th that that deal was done already. So let's say... Deal was signed on the 27th. He went to the consulate or wherever he needed to go on the 28th and started the paperwork. Best that we can hope for is later this week that he's getting his P1 visa and can come into the United States. That's the best we can hope for. Uh, unless like it maybe it happened a little faster and he does get here a little sooner than that, but um, it could easily be longer. Like 
with, I know COVID has slowed stuff down in a lot of places in a lot of different ways. And so like, maybe it's another two weeks, who knows, but, um, we'll be, we'll be keeping our fingers crossed that, uh, that it is this week and not two weeks from now. But the good thing is, like you said, he's been training. So he's just coming out of playing as well with Sao Paulo. So he's in match fitness. He's not been starting every game, but playing quite a bit still, uh, still training. So he shouldn't have to get into physical shape. It'll just be getting up to speed with the system. Yeah. What do we think this means just for the rest of the year? I mean, if he comes in a week or if he comes in a month, like what's the, what's the difference for Austin FC this season? Sort of given how things are going and where our needs are. I guess like the difference between waiting for a signing this year and waiting for a signing last year is last year we were hoping the signing was going to come and save the season or at least right, give right. us something to be happy about. Um, Drusy played in so few games that like he did, like we could tell he was really good, but we we're still a very bad soccer team. <laughs> and GT was like so slow and so long getting here by the time he did get here, we already knew that the, the season was kind of a lost cause. And so this season, the difference is we're, we don't need him. Like we're okay without the guy, the person whose position he's supposed to take is playing out of his mind right now. And so, um, it's, I guess we're like, I'm eager to see him eager for him to get here and get into the team, but we're okay if he doesn't get here this week. Yeah. I think it's a, that's a, really good perspective i think at this point the best that you're hoping for is to integrate him into the lineup near the end of the season for a playoff run you know we've got another recent signing who can't find minutes already and obviously Rigoni's better than well we believe that Rigoni will be better than caruso but yeah i mean there's not a lot of open space at this point maybe one of the best things that having him in will do is to keep inspiring people to compete at a level to keep their jobs which is something we didn't have last year right last year it was so much like, do you have a pulse? Are you healthy? Yes, then you can play on the team, right? And this year, everybody has to earn every minute. And I think that probably elevates the squad overall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we also, this last week, passed the end of the transfer window. And Austin didn't make any other signings. I think quite a few people were hoping for another defender or, yeah, I think mostly just the defender, right? And uh, Yeah, that, that's what I heard. And then Josh Wolf kind of teased this, right, in the press conference the week was that last week when the window closed about like, Hey, we got some stuff going on, you know, this may not be it. And then that ended up to be it. Yeah. So, uh, are you worried about that? I would like more depth. I mean, it all comes down to health. Ultimately, a lot of this stuff comes down to health, but yeah, I would, I would have liked more depth at fullback. Like that feels like a spot where we're super thin, especially with Hector being out. Um, and we're really susceptible to, small injuries, yellow card suspensions, whatever, where we get in a real bind and people playing out of position. So I would have liked to have seen something. Now, is it worth sacrificing all the roster flexibility that we have in order to make that kind of move? I mean, probably not. That's that's A lot of that comes down to like, where do you have space available? Who has to go out? Who's going to buy Rodney? You know, I don't know, like to open up a spot. But uh, I'm a little worried about that, but I can understand that it's, you can't be perfect everywhere in this league. And so we kind of are who we are right now. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, like Sean Rubio, when we've interviewed him and talked to him in other, other situations, he's told us that they're essentially always looking like 
it's not like, okay, this is the guy we're going to try to get him. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. I guess we're done. Like they're always looking at guys and Claudio actually mentioned a fullback earlier in the season. I think that was before Gallagher kind of stepped into that role. But, um, with, with that information, I would assume they were looking for guys and the right guy, the right deal didn't come along. And like you said, like not handcuffing yourself with filling like kind of knee jerk, filling a spot with, uh, with a guy who's not on the right kind of contract that fits your roster build, then that's could potentially turn into another guy that we're saying like, Oh, this guy's taking up this spot and that we need, like we need this spot and this guy's in it. And maybe it's the guy that we signed because we were afraid we didn't have enough fullbacks, but we do still have like a decent stable of defenders. Like it's not bad. We have, we have the four center backs, um, all four of which like, like maybe not the best scenarios with some, some of those combinations, but it's not terrible. Like all four of the guys are competent. And then with the fullbacks, we have three fullbacks, two of them can play on both sides. So Gallagher and Lima can probably, I wouldn't say equally play as good on both sides, but they're both decent on both sides. Coleman is just probably only good on the left. Um, but bet- between those three, that's like not terrible coverage. Injuries and cards could make that an emergency, but it's not the end of the world. Like not ideal for the the specific moment, but also not the end of the world. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, and that's probably that's still the thinnest position on the team overall, right? Like when Johan Valencia gets back, I think we all feel better about the defensive midfield. Um, yeah. So you know, it's, it's just a thing. Like you're you're not going to be as deep as you want to be everywhere all the time. Um, especially playing in MLS where you can't just go out and spend unlimited money unless maybe you're LAFC and then you just find ways to not have roster rules to follow. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about the All-Star Game. So uh, this week, the All-Star Game festivities have started. We're seeing pictures of Sebastian Andreucci training and doing some media stuff in Minnesota. Um, so I think there's like a concert thing tonight and maybe some media stuff with the players. Then tomorrow is, I guess the day this comes out Tuesday is the skills, the skills challenge. And then Wednesday night is the actual all-star game. Um, I, I think I'm most looking forward to the skills challenge, but I'm pretty excited about all of it. Yeah. I'm excited about all of it too. And how cool is it to see this content with like our first all-star walking around and being being an all-star with all the, with the, all the, all the other guys is something we did not get to see last year. And yeah, to see like Vela and Zimmerman and Chicharito and then Drusi sitting right there beside them. Like that's, that's really cool. Like I, it makes me feel irrationally proud. Like I had something to do with it, <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I'm, I'm proud of the guy. And like, uh, Adrian and, and Mike LaHood were saying, I don't remember maybe in like the Twitter space or in the pregame show sometime, they were saying that they had gotten a chance to talk to him about it and that he seemed like genuinely eager to get to Minnesota and take part in it. Like he was very interested to see what it was like. So I'm glad that he's excited. I know not all players are excited to take part in things like these, but, uh, a younger player new to the States, like all-star games are very foreign concepts to a lot of these players coming to the U S. So, I think a lot of them will will have their interest piqued by just kind of the novelty of the event. And it's kind of funny because like we're we're all excited about it, like in seeing a guy and feeling like a grown up team. But of any player in the league this year that belong that like deserves to be an all star, like it's Sebastian Drusi, right? Like the guys should be the leading MVP contender. We heard that very loudly 
uh, in the stadium after he scored his first goal. So, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, he should absolutely belong. So it's, but it's, yeah, it was really cool to see. And I think it'll be an exciting week. And, uh, and, and also, I'm very happy that he's able to participate and he's healthy enough to do it because we had a little bit of a scare around that too. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later when we're talking about the game. But um, the MLS social media accounts have been teasing the return of goalie wars. Are you familiar with goalie wars, Jeremiah? I, I have seen goalie wars highlight videos, and I feel like the name of the uh, event pretty well describes what it is. But I guess for people who don't watch videos of it, do you want to get into it a little bit more? Yeah, I honestly don't know the full rules, but it's essentially two goals maybe like 20 yards apart They're really from close each together. Other. Yep. And two keepers in the goals and they're essentially just rocking shots and throws at each other, trying to score on one another. And so they can throw it, they can kick it, they can do whatever. And the other person tries to make the save and then gets the ball and does the same thing right back at the other guy. <laughs> yeah. That's the part I didn't understand. Is there the rules like one third of them have to be throws or shots, or is it just like dealer's choice? Like whatever, you just you're just like you know what I'm gonna kick it this time, and I'm gonna throw it the next time. Yeah, I think Does it's it dealer's matter? choice. I think you just do what try to catch the other guy off guard, and whatever you think is gonna work best. I kind of love that, but I so late breaking tweet from today. Andrew Weeby says that he believes that goalie wars are only for the live audience during commercial breaks, and we won't, and we won't get to see them on TV. Which is is that a ploy to sell tickets, or is that real? Because <laughs> think- it seems like a stupid thing to do. If you're gonna do it, put it on TV. <laughs> And if you're going to do if you're going to tease it to the whole world, most of which, you know, like you said, it was coming from the official MLS accounts. Most of those people are not going to be in Minnesota. So, like, don't put that out there and then not give the people what they want. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe Weeby's just trolling America again. Up to again. shenanigans. <laughs> Up to his usual shenanigans. All right. Well, there's also going to be a uh, MLS Next Pro. Uh, sorry. MLS Next All-Star Game. So, like, the Academy All-Star Game. Austin FC has a player... Com- competing in this game and it's uh, Anthony Gonzalez who's a I believe he I always forget like they talk about youth players in what year they're born uh-huh. and I can never remember what year it is but I think 05 he's the older level on the U17 team so he would be U19 eligible next year um, as far as like um, national team stuff goes and he recently got called into the U19 national team but he's going to be participating in this game which is again really exciting to see austin represented on this kind of stage i don't remember if this is going to be televised or not do you know if it is jeremiah i don't but i would be surprised if it was given the amount of coverage that that the league that that particular level of the league gets it is going to be on espn3 mlssoccer.com and the mls app at 3 30 p.m uh 3:30 p.m. central on Wednesday, August 10th. So, um yeah, if you're free then you can tune in and hopefully catch Anthony playing a game. Anthony is a really exciting player. I think we we probably talked about him on a recent show when he got that national team call up, but if he gets on, he's like he's electric. Like he's really fun to watch when he gets on the field. So hopefully he gets some minutes and and we get to see him in that game. Yeah, and the other piece of news we got this week which we ex I don't know that it was breaking news because we expected this to happen, but uh, the club officially announced that Austin's MLS Next Pro team is officially a go for 2023. Uh, so there are 21 teams that are competing in MLS Next Pro in 2022, seven coming in 2023, Austin being one of them, which builds out sort of the league, that level of the league itself at 28. 
um oh wait it's a marketing guy i want to talk about it like those graphics are awful like i don't understand the logo <laughs> or anything which is probably not that relevant to a lot of people and probably does not affect like the skill level or the the performance of the club overall but um i guess we should talk about this a little bit because there seems to be some confusion online kind of about what it was and where players fit and things like that and um and you know, not a lot. We've not had to think about it a lot or talk about it a lot because Austin hasn't participated this year. So um, let's go over just kind of what it is and maybe uh, the biggest question. I'll ask you some questions. So you know, where does where does this fit in terms of if you look at the youngest academy team to the first team? Like, where in the spectrum is this, and what kind of what's the philosophy behind having an MLS Next Pro team? So, yeah, I, I think the simplest and shortest way to describe what this team is going to be is a bridge between the academy and the first team. And so from conversations I've had, I'm, I understand that Austin is not going to expand the academy past the current teams that it has. So the U17 team is going to be the oldest level in the academy. Some teams have U19, uh, U, U19 groups. Austin's not going to do that. Players will essentially be competing for a spot in this MLS next pro team after they graduate from the Academy. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where it fits structurally, but the, the whole idea, the whole concept of what this team is, is developing talent to bring into the first team, hopefully. So I got it's that you're thinking that's like directly. So you're going to have, you can have the guys have aged out of 17, and I guess at some point they're going to be good enough for this next level. But then they'll also have I mean, competition from elsewhere. Are we looking at, like, where, where, where did the seeds of the roster come from? Because you've got to fill out a whole club, and you have to fill out a whole club mostly with people who aren't on the first team. Yeah, so, like, the academy kids are going to have to earn their way onto this team. They're not, it, they're, it's not like, oh, you, you're done with the U17 team? Okay, you're automatically on this other team. That's... From what I understand, that's not the way it's going to work. They are going going to bring in outside guys. They're going to, probably going to bring in college kids, USL players, uh, whoever else, because there is no age limit, like no, no age ceiling in this in this level. There is no salary cap in this level. So you can spend as much as you want on this team. You can have as many older players as you want on this team. Uh, I imagine it's not going to be a bunch of 32-year-olds because, like I said, you want this to be developing talent for your first team. So I think you would only bring those guys in if you think they have a shot at maybe being useful to the first team at some point. Um, but yeah, the the academy players are going to be competing with adult professionals for spots on this team. And so I think that's that's a good thing. I think it's it's going to increase the competition there. But it also just gives these kids a place to play until they're ready for the first team. And so you have a 17-year-old kid. He's just finished his eligibility with the U17 team. He's Chances are a 17, 18-year-old is not going to be ready for that first team. And so giving them a place to play for one, two, three years until they are ready for that first team is is great. I mean, MLS teams have had to farm that part of the the chain out to USL clubs, uh, lower division teams that aren't within their ecosystem. They don't have really any control over. Now they're going to have control over every step of it. You have the 17-year-old, you put him into the next pro team for a bit. You can have say about what system he's playing in, how much playing time he's getting, 
things like that, where if he was at another organization, you wouldn't have control over that. So you do have control over them all the way through from the youngest part of the academy up until they're ready for the first team. All right. And the other thing I've seen some questions about is sort of how player movement works between the first team and the, um, the contracts and player movement work between the first team and the MLS next pro team. And my basic understanding is like you can sign a guy to a first team contract and move him down, but it's going to be very rare that you're, there's probably no mechanism in place to like sign a guy to MLS next pro contract to move him up. Like you're not going to be able to like sign Lionel Messi to a MLS next pro deal with no salary cap and then just play him the first team. Right. Correct. Yeah. And Vice versa, like just because a guy is playing like a first team guy is playing on the next pro team, even if he plays the entire season on the next pro team, if he signed a contract with the first team, that guy's contract counts towards a, uh, a roster spot and counts towards the salary budget. So I saw some suggestions of like, well, if Tomas Pochettino comes back and he doesn't fit into the team and Josh Wolf doesn't like him, let's put him on the the next pro team is like, it doesn't work like that. Like Tomas Pochettino would essentially have to sign a new contract with the next pro team in order for him to not count towards our, our roster spots or salary budget. So um, if you're on a next pro contract, you cannot move up and play with the first team. If you're on the first team, you can move down and play with next pro. And that will, like you said, that will be the most common direction that that's happening. Uh, I would imagine any players that are, coming up will be like guys who have signed to homegrown contracts and will spend most of their time with the next pro team, but could come up if they, if we needed them or if we wanted to get them some exposure. Well, this kind of, this goes back to, I think the next point is something that it touches a little bit on your USL point and talks about maybe people who have first team contracts who would be a good fit for MLS next pro. It's like a guy like maybe Charlie Asensio might be a good example Ex for this year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Who's who you would want, you, know, you probably, I mean, he's doing great in Charleston, but you would probably rather be able to control his development and like, and also be able to see him every day and right. like see him in practice and see him in training and like, no, is he developing the way we want or not? So do you have maybe other examples of like, if we had MLS next pro team this year, like guys who we might see on that, or it's like, he, he's, he's probably the one that stands out the most. Yeah. I mean, Charlie Sincio, uh, Freddie Kleeman was also, also out on loan before he got injured. So he would have been in that situation. Um, as we are adding a bunch of wingers, um, guys like Jared Stroud, maybe to get minutes would have been playing with the next pro team. Rodney Redes on weeks that he's not going to be in the first team squad would probably be a guy who might move down to the next pro team to get some minutes. So, um, I think the, the super obvious choices that would maybe be full time there are, yeah, Charlie Sincio, Freddie Kleeman are the prime examples, but you would have the flexibility for guys who aren't in the game day roster on a given week to move down and play some minutes with the next pro team and still get some game time. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see how they build that. I imagine every MLS club is going to have a little bit different philosophy about how they treat that team and how they use that to supply the first team and how much investment they put in it. And I feel like knowing the intentionality of like the way Austin develops, I feel like that's probably a pretty good place for, for, for them to build and develop like future talent to keep within the system itself from what we know yeah. about like Claudio and Sean Rubio and the way that this roster has been built. Yeah. And Claudio, like watching whenever we first hired him, I went back and watched just a bunch of random interviews and very often 
uh, youth development comes up and he, you can tell it's, it's a subject that he cares a lot about and likes to talk about and is very interested in. And so NYCFC's Academy was really good and produced some really good talent while he was there. Um, and it looks like Austin's kind of moving in a similar direction right now. So he's going to take this seriously. And he, like, I think it's a thing that he believes in and cares about. So I, I think they will put a lot of, um, resources into this. Yeah. Well, let's get into this, uh, bananas San Jose game. I feel like, uh, like last week we, we did like a two minute San Jose preview because we're like, you know what? They're playing San Jose and San Jose things happen and nobody, nobody can, <laughs> can break the score or, you know, what's going to, and then that's exactly what we got on Saturday night. Stupid team. I, one of my coworkers asked me like, he like kind of loosely follows the team and he's like, Oh, what was the score? And I was like, it's three, three against San Jose. And I was just like telling him like, I feel like three, three is San Jose's default score in a <laughs> yeah. soccer game. It's like they're, they never have a lot of points. They're would be considered bad, but are also capable of scoring a bunch of goals, but will also always give up a bunch of goals. And like, this is just, it's the most San Jose game ever. And I, I was watching them play Miami midweek and I was like about to tweet this and decided maybe I shouldn't and then went ahead and did it anyway. But I tweeted, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was essentially Austin FC should smash San Jose. Like they're a bad team. We should destroy them. I stand by that. <laughs> like, I think that's still true, but they're just the, just the most bizarre team who's capable of doing stuff like this. And it just like finds them. Like it's, it's nothing that they're like, intentionally doing it's just like in their dna like they have to do it this way they don't know any other way to live and it seems to find them against austin a lot right so now it's what five times that austin's played in san jose without a victory or at least four i don't remember if we played it's three five times last year or not. is it five we okay. played them three times last year so there are three teams in the west wait four teams in the west that austin has never beaten uh one with an asterisk because it's nashville and so we've only played them once so far right because last year they were in the east right. so uh we'll get some a chance to to correct that um dallas is a team we've never beat we've played them five times have never beat them seattle is a team we've never beat and san jose who is towards the bottom of the table is also a team that we've never beat what yeah what a performance all right well let's get into this a little bit i guess we can start with the lineup which I mean, it was it's Austin's standard lineup at this point, right? Like, there's not yeah. there was not a lot of surprises. Like you got the guys who expected to expected to do good things uh, out on the field. You know, it was just chaos throughout. You know, I was. You want to talk about the? First, I mean, it started early, right? Like Austin Austin starts off the scoring in the sixth minute, and so yep. uh, it's so we get a corner, but the corner comes from a really nice. Um, Maxi Ruti shot like Drusi played him the ball, but he kind of creates his own space to get the shot off. And um, I can't remember the keeper's name, but the keeper makes a decent save there to put it out. But that's what leads to the corner. And so San, I was watching how San Jose was was uh, marking corners. So they had four guys man marking our players in the box. And then they had another four guys lined up across the six yard box just kind of like zonally marking there. And so we kind of had like a stack of guys at the, towards the top of the box and they all broke out into different ways. Ibobasi ends up marking Julio, but then Tommy Thompson also like leaves a man and goes and tries to mark Julio. 
but then neither of them mark him. Like, and real, he just kind of like really mark Julio, yeah. <laughs> and so he just like steps behind Ibobasi, who doesn't move with him. And uh, Natan, the big center back, he, that dude can jump, but he was one of the zonal markers and he jumped super high, but just like didn't, wasn't in the right spot, maybe misjudged it and it goes over him. And I don't, it was really poor defending, but Julio's just there by himself whenever Natan doesn't win that one and heads it in. So it, it was bad defending, but like good on Cascante for taking advantage of it. And it was a, a good cross in from, from Diego as well. His, his corner service has been really good lately. Yeah, and that was we we went so long without a set piece goal, right? And so this is this is what couple it's like two and three weeks, or is it two weeks in a row? Or like we've we've gotten a lot better. Maybe it was two weeks ago we were just talking about how Austin had finally kind of broke through on that. And so it's yeah, that was good. Everybody was happy, but everybody was happy for a very short amount of time because two yeah. minutes later San Jose would retaliate. Yeah, and it's like both of these goals, the next two goals by San Jose are pretty fluky and like I think the later part of the game had me pretty upset about several things but going back and watching this there's like not a lot that could have been done about either of these uh the first one um Paul Marie whips in a low cross into the box and Kakanovic is there and he unsuccessfully tries to control it he's just trying to bring it into his feet but takes a weird touch and Stuver comes near post for the cross, but because of the really awkward bounce off of Kukanovic's foot, it catches him off guard and just kind of like bounces into the far post. And it was just, it's just one of those weird bounces that like, I'm sure like you could say like Cascante could have been marking tighter or Stuver could have been, but like, it's just a weird thing that happened. Like, I don't think you can blame too bit anybody too much on that one. Yeah, Stuver's, Stuver's quote was, I've never seen somebody try and trap the ball and it gets mistrapped into the goal. That one was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And the second one, again, kind of a freak thing. There's a corner. Stuver comes out and punches it and he gets decent distance on the punch. It falls really deep to, again, Paul Marie involved in this one. He's like the deepest man, kind of like the safety man on the corner. And, and he, like, he hits the best shot that he'll ever hit in his entire life. Like Stuver, Stuver was still kind of recovering from punching the ball out, but he was back on his feet. Like it wasn't like ideal uh, preparedness you could say, but he was still stationary and on his feet, like looking at the shot. So I don't think there's anything he could have done better. I think you might could say that uh, Fagundes should have closed down the shot. There was another guy kind of running into the box. And so Fagundes kind of like, backs off to track that guy. He couldn't have known this in the time, but somebody else was running towards that guy as well to mark him. So Fagundes could have closed down um, Marie and either gotten in the way of the shot or at least distracted him a little bit. But overall, like I think both of these goals, like you can't fault Austin too much on him. Yeah, I think the only other thing I noticed was, I mean, he was, this happens a lot. I mean, Stuart was a little screened by the back line. Like that, like that was... That was the one thing that prevented him from reacting a little bit earlier, right? Was just like he couldn't see the shot coming in. And I don't think he expected to see the shot coming in. I don't so, think he would have stopped it if you if Paul Marie said, Okay, you start exactly where you're starting. This is where I'm shooting. I don't think Stuart you don't could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> um it was it was an amazing shot. But yeah, it's us like uh, I can't think of any moments where Stuver was really 
at fault for anything in this game. There's probably some minor moments, but he overall, he had a really good game, like to the point where it could have been an uglier game than this, like maybe five to three had Stuver not come up really big in a couple of moments. Yeah, he had a couple he had a couple of those really good reaction moments that he's that he's good at, right? Where it's just like things are happening. He just like sticks an arm out or up or whatever and manages to react to it. Um, so luckily we did not stay behind for too long. Um, I think this is a pretty goal too. So we we made a draw. We made it back to, back to a draw about six minutes after this with Sebastian Drusi, um assisted by Ethan Finley and Alex Ring goal. Yeah. So the next two goal, the twenty sixth minute and the forty fourth minute, Austin gets two back, and they're both they're not the exact same goal, but the build up and kind of the uh, like the pattern of play that leads to the goal is somewhat similar in both of these where it starts deep on the left gets either played or carried centrally and then it gets dished out to Finley on the right who's kind of stretching the back line and then Finley puts the ball into the box for the goal and so the first one uh ring receives the ball centrally turns plays it up the right side to Finley and then he's kind of slow playing it carrying into the box as runners get there and so Aruti makes a run near post Diego makes a run far post and actually ends up inside the goal after his run. Oh, and as, right. as Juicy shoots it in, Diego's just standing in the goal, like hoping not to get hit by it. <laughs> uh, and then Ring kind of like shows near to the ball, giving just like a little give and go option there. And all of those runs carry defenders away from the penalty spot. And so those runs, they didn't get the ball, but they're still very useful runs and just opening up space. And a lot of times you'll see Driussi just like streaking towards goal whenever there's a play on. In this moment, he he plays a ball, looks up, and sorry, he didn't play the ball. He was back deep with the with the play where it started. He looks up and instead of just like streaking into the box, he know he notices there's three guys entering the box and then Finley kind of carrying the ball and bringing his man to the end line. And so instead of just like streaking towards the, the goal, he kind of slows play, slow plays it and stays behind the play. And as those runs get made, the penalty, like the penalty spot area clears out. Drusi arrives just in time as Finley lays that ball off onto the penalty spot and hits it in. And it, like, it wasn't the hardest of goals, but the way he finished it was actually quite skillful. He split the defender and the goalkeeper. So it wasn't, hopeful or lucky like he knew exactly what he was doing on the finish but I think just we say it over and over but he's always in the right spot at the right time and it's not by chance it's because he reads the field he knows what's going to happen he knows where he needs to be to put himself in the best the best place to to affect the play and it happens again with the next goal in the 44th minute but in a very different way so in this one, Driussi has the ball deep in the midfield and he kind of starts driving centrally. He plays the ball to Maxi's feet, who receives it, turns, finds Finley at the edge of the box. This time, there wasn't anybody in front of Driussi. And because he played the ball to Maxi, Maxi wasn't making a run. And so he plays the ball to Maxi and immediately starts making a run into the box. Before Finley even receives it, Driussi is pointing where he wants it. He he puts his hand down like right there. That's the spot. And as the ball gets to Finley, he he disguises it decently like you don't you're not sure if he's going to if he's going to cross it in or like take a touch and shoot or whatever, but 
he ends up passing it with his first touch. A uh, really, really well played ball, just like right on to the stride of Drew Ucy. He tries to touch it in, and Judson slides in and just blocks it, but the ball stays in play. And Drew Ucy does good to like kind of stay after it and keep going after it. But he jumps over Judson while simultaneously getting a little flick on the ball with the outside of his foot. Uh, it bounces off the goalpost, and then he just steps over and and kind of taps it into the goal from there, which it's. I don't. It's like not a con- conventionally beautiful goal, but beautiful nonetheless. That was amazing. It, it was just like there were so many things going on. So uh, this is my. Uh, so we have Los Logan's report from this one, but uh, <laughs> so Drew is a special, special, beautiful man with a golden leg and soon to be a golden boot, and the MVP chants were loud in the supporter section, and I would imagine throughout the whole stadium after oh, yeah. that goal. But you know, it was like it was crazy. That's so I watched this for the supporter section. It was crazy there with that goal. So you, did, did did he play that goal off? I was gonna did ask he play you that this ball too. off the goal to himself on purpose. <laughs> Bills Bills proposed this theory on Twitter, saying that like calling himself a romantic and realizing maybe it's a little bit ridiculous yeah. that he did it. I do not think that Drewsy played it off the post on purpose. I think he was hoping to get it into the goal with that one. And maybe it was hopeful because the angle was really tough, but I think he was trying to get it on goal. Yeah, I feel like he was. I feel like he was trying to keep the ball in play, you know, in what in whatever way, and you know, into the goal or so, or yeah, or off the post or whatever. But I don't. That was such an extreme angle. Um, but what what a finish! And so did he finished that with the outside of his foot too. Ultimately, like I, I like watched yeah. his feet on that several times and couldn't quite figure it out. Yeah, I think both the touch off the post was kind of with the outside of his foot, and then the finish was a little flick with the outside of his foot as well. Yeah, that was incredible. So we get to halftime, up 3-2, and the game changes. Like, I think the game slowed down a lot there, but we should probably take a break before we talk about the second half. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we will take a quick break. We're going to finish out talking about this game, and then we'll also do a preview of the upcoming Sporting Kansas City game. So hang tight. We'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Moon Tower Soccer is once again brought to you by the Austin Daily Drop. Jeremiah, what kind of stuff can folks hear on the Austin Daily Drop? Well, Chris covers everything from city government to local business to sports to live music, dying and everything else is in between. And, you know, like the times are dark and the news is dark a lot. And I feel like Chris has been a little bit there in terms of bringing you the news. We, we found this uh, headline from Friday's show, which pointed out that Austin will now would have hosted the Red Bull BC1 championship breakdancing qualifier last weekend. So... I'm excited to hear that it turned out. And I don't know. Do you have any breakdancing history we should know about? Absolutely not. I'm yeah, from Lockney, Texas. You know where I'm from. There's no <laughs> yeah. breakdancing there. Yeah, me either. I feel like I had a moment where I wanted to be a breakdancer. And yeah, it's 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 tough. So check check that, check out the Austin Daily Drop for breakdancing related and other news. Yeah, there's like serious news. You can find out uh, latest stuff on on COVID, on um, there's been some wildfires, the weather stuff. You can find out all that kind of stuff, but then also like cool events that are going on that you maybe you wouldn't have heard of otherwise. So a great spot for that. Austin Daily Drop is out Monday through Friday, usually by 8 a.m. or early-ish in the morning, runs 8 to 10 minutes long. Uh, so it's a, an excellent way to to just get 
your local news in in like nice little bite size bite size pieces. So give Chris ten minutes and he'll give you Austin. And we're also brought to you by Sage Wilson Property Group. We'll be doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Will's Sage Wilson Property Group for the next home match. And we got a really sweet note on Reddit. I don't know if you even read Reddit, but um, one of the posters on it when I posted last week's show was the winner of the Sage Wilson tickets. And said oh, that awesome. he, had, he said that he'd never been that close to the field and had a great experience and like thanked us and Sage Wilson Property Group for being able to make that happen for, for him and his family. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so this, again, is all made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you are someone you know or in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I think we've mentioned this, but there's a billboard that's close to my house that's been an FVF billboard for like two years. And so I'm always excited to see what they have to say. And it's always positive. And also, we just got their uh, last summer newsletter uh, this, I think, last week. And Josh and Aaron have been officially upgraded from Super Lawyer Rising Stars to full-blown Super Lawyers. They made the Super Lawyer list this year. So congratulations to those guys uh, for being Super Lawyers and great people and wonderful supporters of the soccer community. I didn't know Super Lawyer was a designation you could have. I didn't, but if you want to see them in dress shirts with big S's on their on the fronts of them, you can go to their <laughs> website or subscribe to their newsletter. All right, you can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, and we're back. So we, we entered a half with Austin up 3-2 and what is the most chaotic in San Jose of all possible first halves. And then I felt like it really slowed down for the next 35 minutes. Was there were there changes to the way like the teams were playing or like tactical shifts or like why I just I felt like it was a really boring first half of the second half for sure. Like what what did, what did you see? Or is it just the random events that happens when you play San Jose didn't happen? I don't yeah, I don't fully know. I do think that players were getting tired early in this game which I think will play into some discussion about substitutions a little bit later on. But um, I mean, San Jose really didn't have, as far as XG goes, they didn't have many great chances for the whole game. And early in that second half, they had quite a few shots, but all of them are, were extremely low percentage. So um, I think probably the biggest moment comes in the 67th minute when Ethan Finley gets a chance in the box and like tries to side foot it like just inside the near post and hits it wide. Like it's not the easiest of, of chances, but in hindsight, it looks like it it really could have gone a long way to putting this game away instead of what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So my note on that one is like Finley looks really, really good again, other than the attempts in the 67th minute. And that was a beautiful, was it Jerusi that played that ball into him? I believe so. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I, while we're on the topic of Finley, we just said something bad about him. I think it's worth saying that he was excellent in this game. He yeah, was oh, absolutely, so good. absolutely. And I think like I, I, I said this in in recent shows that like this is the Ethan Finley that I hoped we would see. But to be more specific on that, he's playing like he understands what Josh Wolf wants from a team, and is 
like I think conceptually he knows what is supposed to be happening. And for a while, it, it seems like the game wasn't finding him in the same way that maybe it was early on in the season, but he's really found like his rhythm and I think is finding chemistry with the other guys and knows what Drusi wants, knows what Aruti wants. And it, it's showing, man, like the on-field chemistry is is catching up and kind of syncing up with his understanding of the system. And he's just been very, very valuable to this team lately. Yeah, I would agree with that. So so he um there's that that attempt that kind of goes awry. And that was, I think, a, probably our best chance of the second half. Shortly after that, he comes off, which I think leads up, uh, not only him, but others come off, which kind of leads up to probably the biggest controversy of this game, certainly in terms of like people on Twitter and in slacks that I read and on Reddit is like the substitution patterns here with us up 3-2. And so he comes off for Roddy Redes at 74, along with Diego Fagundes coming off with Owen Wolf. And then a little bit later, Jiriusi comes out for Felipe and Aruti comes out for Gite. And at that point, we're up 3-2. But a lot of people seem very grumpy about the substitution patterns. How did you feel in the moment? And maybe like upon reflection, how do you feel about that now? I was really frustrated in the moment. I think mostly because I'm just really anxious to see Washington Grosso get on the field. Yeah, and yeah so, I think that's probably like uh, that's the feeling a lot of people had. A lot of the feelings about all those subs comes down to people wanting to see Washington Caruso on the field and maybe not Rodney Redis, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, and I like I want to be clear here. I've seen a lot of anger ab- about the fact that Rodney came in, and then people kind of like clapping back at those people saying like Rodney was actually decent. And I agree with that. I think Rodney Redes did what he was supposed to do and performed like fairly well. And so I'm not mad at Rodney. I don't think Rodney did bad. I'm I'm ups- like frustrated that him and Owen came on together and came on so early in the game. They come, came on in the 74th minute. So they played 20 minutes on the field. If you make that substitution with five, eight, minutes left in the game, I say, yes, go for it. Like this is, this is a move I would be okay with seeing, but with 20 minutes left in the game against San Jose, like Rodney did exactly what we know he's capable of and what, like what I expected of seeing, which is why I'm annoyed. And like, (laughs) if you're playing San Jose, a team that like, it's highly likely like highly possible that you're going to give up another goal. And that when that goal comes, which it did, and your wingers are Owen Wolf playing on the left, which I don't think he's ever played on the left for us. He's not really a winger anyway. And then Rodney Redes on the right, who actually got some decent chances, got into some, uh, got some, I think it got a couple of shots off and put in a nice cross once. But some other times he just like, launched the ball forward, completely killed any chance of possession that was going to happen. Like you, you would not bet on that team to get (laughs) right the winning goal. And that's what frustrates me is that Wolf went so defensive so early. Yeah. If you just look at the names, I mean, just like we substituted off Diego Fagundes and Ethan Finley for Owen Wolf and Roddy Redis. Like, what does that say about like your attack? before and after like that's that's very 
um, telling. And then the other set, you know, Jerusi, we learned, I think, later after the game, because I know people were frustrated by that. He picked up a knock, right? A little bit. Yeah, or he like had a some, hamstring some tightening tight- or something. Yeah. And, we and get so that. that one made sense. And then GTA for Uruti. Um, in this game, I'm fine with it. Like, I think you can make arguments for Husin or for GTA in that moment. Uh, and I think both sets of arguments are valid. Like, they both do different things, and both of those things could have been useful it, given the, like the right execution, the right plan. So I'm I'm don't really have a strong opinion on GTA. Yeah, and that's and, and definitely Aruti had run himself out because what from the supporter section even we could see like at sixty five or seventy maybe he was like had his arm up like he was ready he was ready to come off. I guess what I'm upset about in that one is that it didn't happen ten minutes earlier because like they started looking tired. I want to say it was like sixty fifth minute or so. Guys were dragging, and I was getting really nervous that they were going to score way earlier than they did. The, the goal ended up coming in the 88th minute. I was really nervous around like the 65th minute. So that was one, the first thing that Wolf did that frustrated me was waiting so long to make the subs. And then when the subs finally do come, it's defensive wingers on both sides. So I think knowing those subs were that were made, I don't, like, and knowing who we have, like there was no, who else would you have subbed on? Yeah, so Chris Bills tweeted this, and he says, because he was kind of, um, he was questioning some of the the people who are upset about the subs and like somewhat defending Wolf in, in the moment. And so he says, okay, if we're going to play Monday morning quarterback, then let's do the damn thing. Specifically, what subs would you have made and when? And then he follows up and says, yes, you must sub off both wingers and Sebastian Drusi, uh, because he was injured. So... In that scenario, what subs are we making? We can do this collectively so it's not all on one of us. <laughs> okay. I mean, in that scenario, and, and knowing that and knowing that Aruti also wanted to come out, like, I don't know that I would... The only change I make is that I would sub in Washington Caruso for Marty Redis in that moment. Like, that's the only one I would do differently, I think. And then, yeah, that, that's, that's the change I would make. I think I would have done, I would have subbed Maxi 10 minutes earlier in maybe 15 minutes earlier, like probably around the 70th minute, I would have subbed Maxi and like, like flip a coin. Like, like I said, I don't care which striker you put in, just somebody who's not dead tired. And then maybe around the same time, but probably earlier still, I would have subbed on Caruso on the right hand side, sorry, on the, on the left hand side. And then again, like between Redes and Wolf also flip a coin, like Redes does some valuable backtracking defensively and provides uh, some speed and kind of an outlet option on offense. Once he gets the ball, like, okay, maybe he doesn't always do the best thing with it, but he does, he is an option there and like does have some speed there Um, with his defensive work though. I could see him being the right choice there. And we'll get into maybe why he's a better choice defensively than Owen Wolf is at times, but I don't care which one of those. So like, I'm not really mad that riding Reddis was on. I'm mad that it was Reddis and Wolf and not one of those two and Caruso. And it goes just like the mentality of like, just like going too defensive too early against a team that is inevitable 
And so right, right. Keep, it's not like, yeah. Keep your foot on the gas a little bit. And I think feel like that's as good of a defense against San Jose as anything is being able to control the game. And those subs don't allow you to control the game. Yeah, you're not playing last year's RSL where, you know, one goal lead is a thing you can just hope to hold out. Like their team, the biggest example of team chaos, like you have to prepare for that. Um, and so, I mean, how do and, you feel about this goal? Well, so another another point on the subs about Caruso, like Wolf said in the post-game press conference that he didn't quite, like he wasn't quite there, like didn't quite trust him to defend a lead. And like... <laughs> At this point, like, what's the what's the point of having him? Like, he's been here for a few weeks. He's on a short-term deal, right? Like, he could potentially leave in, in December. And so, like, why'd you get him? Like, what, like, I don't know. Me, Kevin Morris sat with me in my seats, and we were, like, commiserating on that, on that point. Like, what's the point of having this guy if you're still going to play a 17-year-old on the left wing out of position? when you have him here and he's integrating the team, like, yeah, maybe he's not like, he's not the, like the perfect Josh Wolf system player because he doesn't understand it all yet, but he's still a soccer player. He was playing in Pumas last year. He's good. Put him on the field. I kind of love how you've gone from frustrated to like, okay, like back to frustrated during the course of this <laughs> show. Like I've seen you, I've seen you evolve in real time. Like all this negative emotion or all this anxiousness <laughs> that you had built up uh, on Saturday night is all come back out. I, yeah, I, I feel like I have been a Josh Wolf defender for most of his tenure at Austin FC. Um, and so I'll switch back to that mode for a moment that, Overall, Wolf has done a very good job this season. I think he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of stuff that's gone right. But this feels like a moment where he's maybe showing his inexperience, second-guessing himself, maybe trying to be a little too cute with certain decisions. And that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. Because he's young, he's not been doing this very long, and I know some people are frustrated by that. Like, why should we have to be his growing pains? But if he stays here for a while and keeps improving the way he has, like I'll take that. I'll take that trade that we're going to get all who's already a quite good coach and showing that he can implement a system and make it work with the right pieces. I'm okay with that. Like, like being his in game learning experience, if he's going to build a team like he has. So, I mean, I think we've had a couple times recently where people feel like he's overthought. Well, I'm not people like, I don't want to put this on somebody else, like including us. He's overthought himself a little bit, um, and, but it's just it's a certain style of play, right? Like it was the Red Bulls game. I think people felt like that a little bit in this one. Yeah. Like, is it is it this just like not um, just like maybe he's, hasn't like matured to the point of dealing with the chaos, you know, or something, or is it just like it's also two games, so maybe it's just random variance. Yeah, yeah. I, again, like I don't think we should be too harsh on him or read too much into it, but other than just to say that he still has some learning to do and that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. Yeah. And ultimately he, he's shown that he is learning. He is getting better at things. And so I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt and kind of the faith that he will continue getting better. Yeah. And the other thing that you pointed out on Twitter is that what everybody from third and ninth lost points too. Yeah. So nobody won between third and ninth place. And so it ended up not really affecting our spot. I think, I think it probably did. 
it felt a little bit like the last chance of us winning supporter shield or getting first in the West and like going above LAFC. I think they're six points, six points up and one game and a game in hand. Right. So (laughs) it doesn't feel likely that we're going to get first place, but if you're looking at the other, the other direction, like this game really didn't hurt us that much. Yeah. And if you're hosting every home playoff game until the final, like it's probably going to be okay. So do you want to talk about the last goal? Yeah. Yeah. We should definitely go back and talk about that. So, um, I mentioned Owen Wolf in this one. So th- this is scored by Jeremy Bobasi. There's some interplay on the right wing between Gregus and Espinoza. And Owen Wolf was one of the defenders there. Gregus plays it to Espinosa and makes like follows <coughs> follows his pass with a run. Wolf backs off and follows Gregus's run, and nobody's there on Espinosa. There was a player behind Wolf who could have tracked Gregus's run. So I think Wolf should have stepped to Espinosa and pressured him, but he doesn't. And so he is able to just tee up a cross with no nobody on him, no pressure in his face, uh, puts a really nice cross into the ball. Um, San Jose only have two guys in the box. So it's Cade Cal and Jeremy Bobasi. Julio Cascante, I guess, just misreads the situation. I don't know if he misread the flight of the ball or didn't know where Bobasi was, but he steps forward and bodies Cal out of position. And he does a good job, like a nice fair, like shoulder to shoulder push of Cal out of position to get the header. But Ruben was already over there and in theory should have been marking Cal. And so when Cascante steps away, he leaves Nick Lima, who's not a super tall guy to mark one of the best strikers in the league on a header three yards from goal. And so it's, I, at first, I thought maybe Julio just misjudged the header, but it wasn't necessarily the actual act of defending the header. It was what he chose to do and who he chose to mark that that led to it. And so, like Lima versus Ibovici, like I'll put money on Ibovici every time there. <laughs> that's how that's how it's going to turn out, man. I mean, Ibovici is such a force, and I thought like they did a really good job most of the night in controlling him. But you know, they just ultimately like. The guy's going to score a goal, especially in the kind of performance that we had on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, so this leaves Austin, like I said, didn't change a lot about uh, where we are in the table. I think one thing worth mentioning is how many goals Austin has scored. I think uh, Danny Pereira said in one of the like hype videos early in the season or maybe in preseason that they wanted to score 50 goals. Austin FC has now reached that goal of 50 goals with, I guess, is it 10 games left in the season? Yeah, it's and 10 games left. And I think we did an over-under. Remember Marcelo Tasson sent us all these over-unders? Yes. And we made predictions. And at some point, we need to go back to that. And I, hopefully, we both predicted over 50 goals. Um, <laughs> don't know that for sure, but we're already there with 10 games left. So like, how how is that different from where we were sitting last season? We were struggling and fighting for every single goal. So... Austin last year had the lowest goal total in the league with 35 and already have 50 with however many games left. And so my answer as to why is going to infuriate some people, but two reasons that Austin are scoring so many more goals in 2022 are ruthlessness and verticality. Oh no. (laughs) It's not even a word by the way, verticality. (laughs) 
So these became kind of like Josh Wolf buzzwords in 2021. <laughs> and he said them so many times for like what Austin needed to do to be more dangerous that people got really annoyed at him saying them. Um, but he was saying them over and over for a reason. Like these are real concepts in the game. So break it's- it down then. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to hear these. So Austin has been much more intentional about playing more direct and playing more vertically in games. I think that's been very visible in games. And so it's made them less predictable than last year. And they're also overperforming on uh, expected goals. And so their non-penalty goals minus expected goals, they're overperforming that by 11.5. And so they're creating chances and they're actually finishing them, which is a a big change from last year when they couldn't finish a glass of water. I love that. Yeah. So they're being ruthless. There is no root. (laughs) I talked to, I think it was, um, Jordan. I can't Jordan Stewart, maybe from, uh, active in Los Verdes Slack, but I ran into him at the, after the Josh Wolf Q and a at like the player meet and greet. And he said, he asked Josh Wolf what verticality meant. And like, He's like, he gave a really good answer. And like, I, I kind of asked it as a joke, but afterwards I was like, okay, I understand now. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> but verticality is a real thing and we are doing it better. <laughs> I love it. Do you want to talk about any players uh, in this? You know, obviously, Driussi, amazing. Golden boot leader by what, two goals now, I think, over um, Vasquez from Cincinnati. Yeah. Made the MLS team of the week 10th time. We talked about Valencia. Like, what'd you think about the midfield, but like the ring Pereira performance? Like, I did not love it, but I can't oh, really? exactly say why. I, did, I, can't, I can't say why. I think they like uh, had some missteps, but I thought overall they did fairly well. Um, I thought Danny, like, he is like, I don't know. It felt like a very Danny Pereira performance by my definition of like why he's so good and why he's so frustrating. Cause he did some amazing things. There's one run that he just like did one of those elusive little turns. And then like the seas parted and he just ran past six guys and he's just so slippery in those moments and so deceptive with his little turns. And that's super useful to this offense. But then other times where he'd turn and just like pass it straight to a defender or like did some really frustrating things like that too. But what, what did you, were there any specific things that you saw from yeah. those two that you well, didn't like? Well, I guess two things that I was thinking about. One is like, I'm a, in, we were talking about substitutions in a perfect world. If I could have had Johan Valencia come on and just like destroy people for the last 30 yeah. minutes, like that would have been a really good way to see the game out. So it was more the absence of having his presence. Um, and then there was a minute, like, it was like a point later in the game where like ring kind of burst through and, and like made a play on the offensive end. I was like, oh yeah, Alex Ring started for this team. Like I for, kind of forgot about that because I feel like he did not have a very visible or visible performance um, from what I saw out of it. Maybe he was doing things that like I wasn't watching or whatever, but I didn't feel like he had his after after having a pretty good run of form. Like I don't feel like he had his best game um, Saturday night either. Yeah, I I don't know. I I maybe need to watch it a little closer on a rewatch. I don't think he had a bad game, but I I do agree. Like he wasn't super visible in this one, but honestly for Alex ring, like sometimes that's a good thing. Like him just kind of blending in is probably not bad. A lot of times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that like stands out as far as super overperforming or underperforming. 
Yeah, I think everybody kind of did the things you expect for them at this point. That's a and you kind of know who everybody is, and the good thing is like everybody's a little bit better than the eleven we had on the field last year. Um, yeah, and maybe and I guess that's Adrian Healy talked about this last week when we interviewed him about sort of appreciating this run in this moment. And I think that being frustrated by scoring three goals and not beating a bad team at home and only drawing them is something that we should probably appreciate. And especially when it doesn't hurt us in the table. You know, like everybody who's met, like this is like a a good team problem to have is that people are frustrated by a 3-3 draw against San Jose. And in some way, like I just want to react all the time to everything that's going on, right? And it's all like we're the best team in the world or we're never going to win another game. And we should probably like step back from that a little bit and just sort of enjoy the ride that is Austin FC's season, at least through 24 matches. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think another thing that um, Kevin Morris and I were discussing during the game is that when Rigoni gets here, like it, it, maybe it takes him a little bit to settle into the team, but to either have Ethan Finley playing the way he's playing right now to have him on the bench as the guy to bring on or to have Emiliano Rigoni as the guy on the bench to bring on. Like that's a team in pretty good shape. Like that's an amazing option to have. We've talked about depth like that all year, but this is like another level. Like this is, uh, this is another degree to what we've seen from this Austin team at any point in time. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not LAFC depth, but it's, it's on par with any other team in the league beyond that for sure. All right. Um, should we move on to our Kansas City preview, Jeremiah? Yes, because because it's been what like ten or eleven days since we last played Sporting Kansas City and talked about them, so we can probably keep this one pretty brief for people that don't remember. Um, it was kind of a fluky, weird game. I don't feel like it was our best performance, but on July what thirty first, uh, Austin won two nil in Kansas City, Kansas against Sporting KC. So they played once in the interim. This is probably the most interesting thing that we can talk about with them. So since we since that match, uh, Sporting beat the LA Galaxy four two. They got two goals from summer signee William Agata, who's in only his fifth match, only his second start. His first start was the one against Austin, um, and he looks like a pretty solid game changing kind of player. And there's that's not the only summer addition, right? Yeah, Eric Tommy, who's a midfielder who arrived maybe just before Agata, and I think had his debut before Agata as well. He scored a goal in that game. And I, I didn't get to watch this game in his entirety, but the a game or two before, I think the game before we played them last was the first start that Eric Tommy got, and the guy's good. And so we say we just played this game not long ago, but it it's not unreasonable to think that this Kansas City team could be changing a little bit and becoming a slightly different team in this short span of time with with Tommy and Agata kind of finding their feet in this uh, in this team. So... Um, we should definitely be careful of these guys. That being said, like we should still beat Kansas City, but it's at home, and so yeah. What's going on with that? I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna. We haven't talked about that yet, but like, we're, this is significant a differential, I think, in terms of points per game and on the home, at home versus on the road now. Um, so I don't know. Like, it's I still understand the chaos that McCalla brings, and it's even more frustrating because like I'm there in person. And not disconnected from watching it on like a 47 inch screen, you know, but uh, do you think there's really, is it a difference in the quality of teams we played or is it variance or like, is there, do you think this 
Austin FC plays in a different way at home versus on the road. It, I think it's 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 not external. It's something internal happening. Uh, my wife Ashley had a theory that like when they travel together, they kind of have more more like bonding time and are feeling more chemistry when they're going away and playing on the road. It's not, it's not a ridiculous theory. Like that could play into it. Like the fact that they're like away from home, away from any other distractions of their life and kind of just focusing on that, that could play into it. There's like a million things like these guys aren't, uh, aren't FIFA algorithms in a video game. Like they're human beings and, all of these things factor into to how they're performing as athletes. And so I have no idea what it is. I just hope that they figure it out and change it and <laughs> exactly. fix it. I think it's probably all we need to say about this one. Like hopefully <clears throat> things will turn out well. I mean, even with the new guys, so and they still lost three of the last four league matches, even with the LA win. So it should be one that Austin is lined up to look good to do at home at eight o'clock on Saturday night. Yeah, so that's we have that to look forward to next weekend. And then, again, the Skills Challenge and All-Star Game with Drew UC playing midweek this week. So uh, hopefully it turns out a good week all around. I think that's, a, that's another thing to maybe be mindful of. If it were any other player, I might be concerned about them missing training this week. But I'm, like, not really worried about Drew UC. <laughs> right, you know what you know get out of him. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing would be like him not being in training to push the other guys. But as far as his preparedness, like I'm not worried about it at all. I just don't get hurt. Have fun. Come back on Thursday and and be ready to go. (laughs) All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then uh, come find us on Twitter at LVHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. And then at MoontowerSoccer on Twitter and Instagram. And then, as always, uh, we would like to remind you to sign up for the Patreon, get some cool merch, get some cool access, and force us to answer weird questions if you want. Uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker, where you can get a thirty tw- discount with Moon Tower Twenty Two with a capital M. That's Moon Tower Twenty Two with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for this week? Well, I, I saw I wanted to talk about this earlier, and I forgot. So we have two other podcasts that we. Or tangentially related to, at least, right? And they both had great episodes this week. One is Westward Ho, which is Phil West, editor of the Striker Texas, um, who publishes a lot of great ton- content, but he's got a show. And he had Mike and Steph from uh, Swoon Tower on his show this week. And I also think we should plug Swoon Tower, where Steph and Mike interviewed Jessica Luther and had their first guest this week. So, like, you get us, but you also get a lot of bonus content. Um, related to both like the Moon Tower account and the Striker account. So hopefully pe- hopefully, people who have some extra, extra time in the schedule who maybe don't check those shows out every week will go ahead and do that this week because they were both really good. Yeah, absolutely. Great content all around. Uh, a lot of um, Austin FC and Western Conference content for you to, to check out. Uh, all right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the Sporting Kansas City match. Uh, Drew sees all-star game performance and then we'll preview the next game which is against Minnesota United until then I'm Landon Cotto I'm Jeremiah Bentley we'll catch you next time when no one is around think for nothing you never la gente oh my god